0: So, we are still in here. Go back to first here, and we will continue. Uh, this past week at Hamilton County Jail. I had a inmate ask me a interesting question, and one of the things I love about prison ministry is guys are really and women, I guess I don't see as much of them, but very transparent and so this guy asked me this question he said uh, and he was dead serious. He was said that uh he and his wife to be he's planning to get married when he gets out, and his wife is currently locked up too, so when they get out, they're getting married uh but he asked me if it was okay to bring another woman into the situation because his wife was okay with it and the guy in one of the cells said yeah man if your wife's cool with it and you're cool with it then there's no no problem with it he was being sincere i mean he wanted to know was that a sin or not uh i'm not gonna make fun of dumb question on especially not this guy he's a gigantic man he's a bit intimidating gang related individual and but anyway, I thought for a minute I'd be smart and end it real quick. And I said, well, let me ask you this. What if she wanted to bring another man? And he said, well, I mean, I'd be okay with that. But I was like, what? Well, okay, wait. <laughs> and uh, he did not really go that way, so to speak. So I was really surprised to hear that. I'm not sure what he was thinking. I mean, you know what he was thinking? That was, like, weird. You were there. I took it she could have a girlfriend she could have a boyfriend. Yeah, that's kind of the way I was. I don't know. But it... it but anyway he he said that and it went right back in my face again and then i was like okay well i said it's a really good question (laughs) and i said well let's talk about it a while and we did but i would challenge you i mean i'm sure instantly you would say no it's not okay but could you biblically explain why it's not okay i was sitting there had to think through for just a second how I was going to biblically justify this argument. And there's a good argument for it, but we'll talk about it as we go through. But we have defined things in our society a lot different than the way they were, some some things anyway, than the way they have been defined in the past. Because that's what we do. We define things like we get together as a group and we say, here's the way it is. Or maybe even as an individual, we define things. This is what it means to me. You know what I'm saying? But God has to have the right to define some things, doesn't he? I mean, and if he defines it, is it something that's up for debate? And I'm not trying to get, I know probably for a lot of people, your brain's thinking of homosexual argument or something like that. That may be part of it, but that's not entirely what we're talking about today. So First Peter chapter 3, you're going to see a lot of talk about marriage in this, but this is not, listen to me, this is not about marriage. This is about witnessing. This is about... Your marriage illustrating something. It's illustrating relationship. Your marriage is illustrating the gospel. Your marriage is illustrating something. That's what he's talking about through here. Look at verse 1 right here. Likewise, in the same way, that's what likewise means. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. So we got half a sentence, and we already got definition issues. (laughs) Submit subject to you know same word or even uh wife or husband nowadays i mean how you define that one in fact i was trying to come up with something other than i did honor to the emperor last week so i thought well let's do honor because he's talking about honoring your wife or your husband so let's do that but i didn't want to just say wife or husband so i was trying to think of another word but the funny thing is no matter what word popped into my head there's a twist on it in modern society if you said uh honor your significant other or honor your spouse. You know, just about any word you pick, your partner. I mean, the the world has a twist on what that actually means. Uh, but let's kind of pull it apart a little bit. He says likewise. So what does likewise mean? In the same manner as what? Well, in the same manner as the way he previously talked. So look back in chapter 2, verse 13. Here's the same word. Be subject to or submit for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Verse 15, by doing good, you should put to silence foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, but living as servants of God. Verse 18, servants, submit, be subject to your masters. Verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So you might follow. So that's the picture of submit that he's talking about. Remember, Christ doing this is the example, and that was extreme love. So no matter what you see as we go through here, keep that in mind, this picture of extreme love that Christ modeled. So verse 1 goes on. He says, likewise, wives, uh, be subject. Maybe yours says submit. It's a military term. It's the same word. It means getting line behind. Now, I know you're already getting mad at me. I'm only reading the Bible. Okay, we're just reading. It says, Get in line behind or be subject to your own husbands. Funny he says your own. There's a couple of things there. Number one, personally, I think that think that he's telling you you have a husband. Like you have a man. He's yours. So before you get freaked out about getting line behind, you know, he's you have one. He belongs to you. He's yours. And that's a good thing. Also this is not women submit to men. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a marriage relationship here. And he's saying in a marriage relationship, uh, wives submit to your own husband. You don't have to sit, If you're not my wife, you don't have to submit to me per se. That's the idea. You you are in a relationship with a man, a man, one man, one woman. So it kind of ends the previous argument. But anyway, there's a reason. It's not just, hey... Even if you're being beaten up, abused or killed or whatever, that's not what he, there's a purpose in him saying this. Look what he says: Submit to your own husbands, so that, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, so they've got to see it talking about actions not words there was a popular saying that went around for a while and caught all this hype that yeah it went but something like present the gospel and if necessary use words and now there's been this big pushback against that in the past decade saying that's actually not true that you are supposed to use words when you present the gospel which is also true however they shot down the first statement which the first statement is also true because here's an example where he says even if they don't obey the word god's word they may be one without a word. Can't be more blunt than that. How so? Well, by seeing your conduct as a wife. Talking about my relationship here. By seeing your conduct as a wife. So how you behave, how you respond, how you act could win them over. Not meaning you're a good, happy, cheerful person. It means the way that you put yourself under their authority in a manner of speaking. That's If you don't like the word submit. 1 Corinthians 7:13. you don't have to turn to it. Paul says, if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Verse 16 says, for how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? That's the idea. You don't save anybody. God's the only one that saves somebody. So what he's saying is by your actions, by your conduct, he could do that. So. So much talk about suffering and exile and persecution, why throw this into it right now? Why suddenly throw in a relationship discussion? <laughs> Maybe you feel like you've been in a relationship like that suffering and persecution. Now why do you think he's why do you think he's throwing that into this discussion? That's true. Be a lot of stress caused by an unbeliever and a believer. But you made a good point that one would be a believer, the other would be part of the culture. So remember, where, where are they? Well, not a physical location, but what's their status? What's their situation, the audience that he's writing to? In exile, yeah. They're exiled and they're being persecuted and they, their culture that they've been cast out into is entirely different. What he's getting at is this opportunity... For them to display through their relationships, whether it's marriage or whatever, the idea is through their relationships is a chance for them to be a witness, to be an example to the people in the culture around them, to be, honestly, to be counterculture is the idea. You know, this is where I was thinking with this guy, I had to make sure I had my ducks in a row when I was talking to this inmate, because a great argument, if you want to go, well, God created Adam and Eve, well, if you've got somebody that's really smart, they'll say, yeah, well uh in the old testament they had tons of wives and concubines and they did so then the flip side argument to that in the christian camp which is a terrible argument but i've heard it uh, dozens of times is well that was the culture of that day well that's exactly right it was the culture of that day but that didn't mean it was okay they were supposed to be counterculture. It was never okay for them to have multiple wives. It was not okay for David to do it. It was not okay for Solomon to do it. And matter of fact, it split the kingdom when Solomon did it. It brought down the whole kingdom of Israel. It was never okay. They were only ever supposed to have one. What happened when Abraham had two wives? <laughs> know what I'm saying? It was never okay. But that's God used it just like he uses all kinds of sinful people in sinful situations. He worked through it, but that didn't never made it all right. Um, you're supposed to be culturally different. So am I. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning, talking to the women here, do not let your ador- adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning, well, I say he's talking to women. Maybe he's talking to men too. Who knows? But I hope not. Anyway, verse 4, he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Pretty cool. I love how he ends it that way. In God's sight it's very precious. Does anybody else's opinion matter? Now you said no. <laughs> you said no. Just like I said I would say no, but whether you believe that or not is up for up for debate. But that's the point is though, he's in his mind it is very precious. And that may be the whole point here, really. In his mind, is very precious. You don't need anybody else's opinion. It doesn't matter what he says. Not not God, whoever he is. It doesn't matter what the he in your life says. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's your dad, your boyfriend, your husband, your ex-husband. I don't care who it is. It doesn't matter. It, to, God, to God, that is a precious thing. And he's the only opinion that really matters. But this thing is not saying, by the way, that you can't wear jewelry. And you can't wear makeup, and you can't dress dress up and all that that's not what it's saying, and it's been taken out of context by some other faiths on many occasions, and it's not saying that okay what what is he saying? It be yeah, it shouldn't be the focus of your heart. don't let your adorning be external so you you have an adorning, but he's saying don't let it be external and one cool thing here is the word adorning what do you think that word means decorating Decorating. decoration that's the english word embellishing Embellishing. (laughs) that's a big word huh covering sort of what you got on yeah that that's the english word here's the greek word cosmos well, that's where cosmo, cosmetics maybe come from. What do you think of when you think of cosmos? Universe. That's what I, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. I know. It's, it and that's probably where it came from, honestly. But in the Greek word cosmos, if you think of cosmos, that's the, that's the universe, that's the world. Matter of fact, in the Bible, that word cosmos appears 185 times, okay? 185 times in the New Testament is a Greek word. One time, It's the word real, like genuine, authentic, real. Another time is what we're looking at, where they translate it adorned or adornment or like decoration or, you know. The other 183 times, it's world. So all but two times in the Bible is translated world. So God created the world and everything in it, Acts 17 says. It's that kind of thing. God created the world. It's this word. So that's a kind of strange word to throw in there, right? He says, don't let your world be external. Don't let your cosmos be external. Strange choice of words. And context does tell you he's talking about your decoration. Literally, the sense of the word here is that you are taking something. This is the sense of it. You're taking something plain and decorating it. Or maybe if you want to take God created the cosmos, he took a blank and then created, decorated it with a world and universes and planets and all that kind of thing. So it may be that what Peter's getting at here is that God is seen, I think, in what he created, not what we created. What he created is, what, what let me put this way. what can you do, listen to me, what can you do about your inner beauty? What was the word that he said? Your, excuse me, your inner adorning. The adorning of your heart. Yeah, that's what you can do now. That's what you can do now. Only God can change it. But only God can change it. You cannot fix your heart. You can put all the makeup on your face you want. You can change all the clothes you want. But there's nothing you can do to your heart. You can put things in there, but only God can change it. Only God can do what, what needs to be done there. And that, listen to me, that's imperishable. What does imperishable mean? It's never going to die, ever. That will be beautiful when the world's gone away. You know what I'm saying? What's in you, if you're a believer, if not a believer now, this is another story. Peter is talking to Christians here. So if you're a believer, what's inside you will never not be beautiful because God is the one that says it's not and he created that. So what he's saying is let that be the thing that's beautiful what he created, not what we we created. I think that's what he's getting at. Look at verse 5. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to holy women, excuse me, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting or being subject to their own husbands. Wow, don't get worked up here. <laughs> But look what he says here. He says, uh, this is how holy women hoped in God by submitting to their husbands. The word holy there means set apart. So this is what he's saying. He's saying this is how women were set apart from what? The world. Yeah, this is how women were set apart from the culture back in the day. That's modern day language, used to. How about this? Even in Peter's time, it's already something women used to do. It's already become something by Peter's time that women don't typically do. But he's saying it used to be back in the day that women were set apart. Women stood out because they submitted to their, again, their own husbands. Not to every man, but they submitted to their own husbands. And that used to be the way it was. He's saying that that used to be how people would see they were godly because they were set apart in in an environment that looked totally different. That's the way it is today. I mean, trust me, pop culture, I don't care if it's uh, politics or the business world or even the churches in a lot of cases nowadays that dance all around this thing because they're, you know, can't, can't stand up and say this without people getting frustrated. Can't stand up and mention these things without people getting upset. But again, doesn't God get to define something? And if he defines it, Can we not be okay with that? But Peter goes so much further than just saying submitted. Look at verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And we got that covered. Now my wife's in here, so. (laughs) Uh, Last night we were talking about this as she was here, and she, she said a lot of what you said last night right at this moment. She said that. A lot of that very same thing about being submissive and it being a blessing and all this thing. And then I read that and she goes, well, now we may be going too far. You know, (laughs) she's joking, though. But he says, and your children, excuse me, and you are her children, Sarah's children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. I think maybe what he's getting at here is this may be a scary thing. Maybe a scary thing to be submissive, especially if your relationship is not a healthy one, to say the least. It may be a scary thing, but let's sit on the obeyed and calling him Lord for just a second. First of all, let's back all the way up, okay? Where where did all this get messed up at? The garden, right? got messed up in the garden. What was the curse that God put on? He cursed everything here, all of creation, man as well, but what was the curse he put on Eve besides the childbearing? We all know about that one, Okay. Uh, absolutely. It is that she would desire to be, contro- to control her husband, but he's the one who would actually be Lord over her. As a matter of fact, the language there, the Hebrew language there, is synonymous with the first curse. The first curse there was on the enemy, on Satan, on the devil, and it was you will be at war or have enmity, you'll be at war with the woman, the seed of the woman. Well, this is parallel to that. You, woman, are gonna be at war with your husband. That's the idea. You're going to wrestle with him because you're going to want to go contrary to him. You're going to push back. You're not going to want to be in that position, but that's the position he's in. So God defined it that way, like it or not. That's the way he defined it. The fact that you don't like it is proof that this curse happened, you know, is that there's this pushback on it. So let me read this. MacArthur says, this is pretty good. He says, because of sin... Because of sin and the curse, the man and the woman will face struggles in their own relationship. Sin has turned the harmonious system of God-ordained roles into distasteful struggles of self-will. Lifelong companions, husbands, and wives will need God's help in getting, to get, getting along as a result. The woman's desire will be to lord it over her husband, but the husband will rule by divine design. It's, it's God's plan that it would be that way. Peter's statement is in the context of Sarah here. So he's trying to point something out. First of all, Sarah did call Abraham my Lord, but not to Abraham. He was talk, She was talking to God. Go back to Genesis 18, and let me show you where. Hold your hand and come back. Go back to Genesis 18, I'll show you what he's referencing. He's referencing a very specific thing. And he's reminding these women that he's writing to, that Peter's writing to, about something that they would be familiar with. Uh, This is where the three angels, three men, turn out to be two angels and one God, literally, who come across Abraham on their way down to Sodom and Gomorrah, where God is looking to destroy it. And they stop and have this conversation with Abraham, and Sarah overhears it. Verse 10 The Lord says to Abraham, I'll surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, why is that a big deal? They're old, old, like 90s plus, and people didn't live to be 500 back then. I think Abraham died at 120, maybe, something like that. So more more, more comparable. I mean, their bodies function like our bodies function in modern day times as well. So uh, she's old, without a doubt. And it says, verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, tells you, advanced in years. By the way, it didn't read it there, but Sarah heard him. And it says, the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. What, what does the way of woman mean? Post-menopausal. Huh? Post-menopausal. Postmenopausal. sure. Okay, she couldn't have babies. You know, that thing's done. Besides that, she was also barren. Right? That'd been her case all along. So that, and now it's not even physically by her own body's ability possible. And if that's not bad enough, verse 12, she laughs to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord, there it is, is old, shall I have pleasure? And just frankly, uh, the idea there is, uh, we gonna do this. You know? But it didn't have in vitro. So that's really what she's saying. At this age, that's gonna happen, really. Um, but she called him my lord there now you know this is not as big a deal as we make it out to be and honestly it's not that big a struggle let me this is a quote from the esv study bible if you got one it's there don't use study bibles terribly often for quotes but this one was good so he says they, they said such obedience does not mean the relationship between husbands and wives is like that of parents and children but it does show that a wife is to follow her husband's direction and leadership. In the culture of her day, Sarah expressed her submission by respectfully referring to Abraham as her Lord. Um, but it's really just not that big a deal. We want to make it a big deal. It's really not. And the reason why it's a big deal for us is because we never used that word. When's the last time you used that word outside of prayer or worship? When do you ever refer, do you you see the mayor and say, good morning, Lord Mayor? (laughs) Well, they did 100 years ago. You ever see a movie of Victorian ages and the, uh, the woman referred to her husband as my Lord? Constantly. Was that right or wrong? Who cares? It's a term. It is not in our language. So in our language, suddenly we become so offended by it and it's nothing to be offended by. I'm not saying it was culturally different then than it is now. I'm just saying the word is what gets us twisted. Don't be tore up by the word. The idea is the point here, that she had great respect for her husband. She saw her husband as head of the family there, at least in that case. And, and the point that Peter is getting at, what was God promising in this passage? In Genesis 18 here. A child. A child an impossible child he was promising a child to a woman that was impossible for them to have and so what peter is saying is if you are one of her children then you're one of god's children and if you're one of god's children you should be displaying just like she did for the culture to, around you to see that how you, how you behave around your husband how you submit to your husband whatever you want whatever word you want to use shows that you're one of God's children because this is counterculture go to Ephesians 5 the next thing Peter says is likewise husbands so just when you thought you were gonna get out of here fellas likewise what did likewise mean in the same way just like I said before so just like with the women men But I want to go to Ephesians 5 because Paul and Peter obviously were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. They knew each other well. They preached at the same time. They were discipled by the same guy, not to be funny. But Jesus literally discipled Peter, and I believe literally discipled Paul. We'll have that discussion another time, but I believe that happened. And So both of them, their language is very similar. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 1 gives you the context for what he's about to say. This is Paul talking now, but therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So here's the context. You're children of God, so imitate him. Reflect him, be imitators of him, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Uh, There's the example. So be imitators of him as, as his children, children of God. And he made an example by doing... Given himself up for us so that being said he goes into this conversation look at verse 22 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord same word exactly as what peter said submit be subject to and again your own husbands. same language you don't owe it to everybody you, you owe it to your own husband but again you have a husband That is a gift from God to you that you have one and he's yours. So be submit to your own or submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What he's saying here is this is God's design. So. It's it's not about the culture back then, like I've heard so many people say, or the culture today. That's the way the culture was. No, it's God's design. Why did he design it that way? Well, it wasn't just because he wanted to. There's a purpose in why he designed it that way. That's what uh, Paul is arguing here, what the purpose is. That's why it's still relevant today, just like it was relevant back in that day, and like it was relevant way back when Sarah's day and whatever else. It's pointing, in this context, Paul is pointing out that there is a purpose. He'll show you what it is. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, that sounds like a cop-out. Women got to submit, but husbands just have to love. Yeah, but not just love. Gave it all. Died for her. Didn't just die for her. What else? Suffered horrifically, humiliated. you realize he was stripped naked? I mean, humiliated and suffered and died. And that's what he's saying you as a husband should do for your wife. Now, listen to me. And don't answer. Don't answer. But I'm just saying, wives, if you had a man in your life that you knew for a fact would go through absolute suffering and humiliation and death for you, would you have a problem submitting to them if they wanted to lead in certain areas? Would it be so hard for you to do that if they were willing, and you knew it, to be publicly humiliated, beaten, torn apart, and killed for you? Verse 28, he says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. That's quoting Eden. Uh, verse 32. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Okay. How many times in what I just read, you don't have to go back and count, but how many times in what I just read did he say Christ in church? Christ in church. Christ in church. Christ in church. Christ in church. And now he's saying it refers to Christ in the church. In fact, he says what I've been talking about the whole time is Christ in the church. So what's the purpose of husbands and wives? To reflect Christ in the church. So that's why it's not that was the culture back then and now we're not like that. No, it is the same because you're supposed to be reflecting Christ in the church. It is a picture of Christ and his church. But Paul goes on, just so you know, this has not been all just imagery. Verse 33, he says, however, practically speaking, it also applies. He says, however, each one of you. Love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. You want a summary of it all right there in a the sentence. Husbands, love your wives as your own self, and wife, respect your husband. There's the big fat summary. But look in chapter six, verse one. He talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, verse five. Bond servants or slaves, that's that same thing we talked about with Peter. Obey your earthly masters. and trembling, sincere heart, as you would Christ. So there's a progression of authority going on here or a progression of responsibility going on here. You've got Jesus, and then you've got the husband, and then the wife, and then the children, and then slaves even. And here's the problem. Authority doesn't mean a thing if nobody submits to it. If you don't put yourself under someone's authority, they have none. So it doesn't make any difference if we say this is the way this thing is lined up if you don't get into the place you're supposed to be in that scale. Before you get twisted about that, Philippians 2 will destroy any arguments you have because it tells you that in around verse 10 or so there that Jesus, who was number one on that list, went to where? To the husband level? To the wife level? To the child level? the slave level humbled himself becoming a slave so the one on top went to the very bottom of that list in order to serve everybody above him so there's no reason to get twisted about the way that whole thing looks look uh look let's go on he says um, again there's a purpose in this in ephesians 5 still look at verse 15 here's the huge purpose look carefully then how you walk Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because why? The days are evil. The culture is wicked. So you're going to have to walk in a way that you bump into the culture, that you look different. And you've got to be wise about how you do that. Or as Peter said, for the Lord's sake. Remember we talked about that last week. That... You are representing him. You're supposed to look like him. You're be an imitator of him, as Paul said. And you're going to bump into the culture when you do that. You're going to slam into him. Go back to First Peter three, and we'll finish up real quick here. First Peter three. Verse 7 carrying on. Likewise, husbands, this has been Paul in the past. Now we're talking about Peter here. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. <laughs> I like how you worded that cautiously, understanding. Uh, Showing honor, showing, that may even be public. That may be saying in a public way, but showing honor. It doesn't just mean respect. This is what I picture that. This is the best way I understand that is put her on a pedestal. If you're a guy in a public way, I believe, she should be on a pedestal in front of the world. She should be like your princess. I'm not talking you're groveling at her toes. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But I'm saying from your perspective and from anybody who sees you, which is also counterculture, she ought to be your world and everybody ought to know it. And I ain't great at that. I'm working on that one. But but that's that's the idea. That's the picture is that you're supposed to show her honor, show the world that you honor her. It says, show an honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Once again, hold on. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered that was a nice twist on the end there so let's pull the weaker vessel apart i am a huge ufc freak i love it many of y'all know that i've been watching ufc since you had to run it on vhs and uh i i love it studied martial arts myself for five years in the midst of all of that and uh, anyway there's a fighter named ronda rousey who is a one i don't typically get into the women fights as much it's just not my thing but She is unbelievable. She is the toughest chick there is. I mean, she is the hardest fighter. In fact, honestly, all jokes aside, I do really think she could probably beat most men uh, in in the way that she fights and the style that she fights. And she's just fun to watch. She's just really dominant really fast. And she holds tons of records in the UFC. For instance, her average fight time is 2 minutes and 16 seconds. If you take two of her fights out, so if you pull two that were against the same woman, if you pull those two out, her average fight time drops to 56 seconds. One of her last fights was 16 seconds. 16 seconds. This woman is a a machine, okay? Well, what's made news is in the recent past, the election has kind of, the presidential election has kind of taken all the attention away. But if you go back and you remember kind of the target bathroom days, uh, and all of that discussion that was coming out uh, there was a guy a man who decided that he was he associated with being a woman whatever term we use nowadays but he associated with being a woman so he wanted to identify as a woman and fight in the ufc as a woman although he's a man well she flipped out and she is not a christian as far as i know and she's definitely very feminist in nature and so that being said though she pushed against this really really hard and her argument was i don't care who you identify as as a man her argument as a man you have harder bones stronger bones and you have uh more muscle mass that you can build and do more with and that makes it an unfair advantage well see you just identified a difference Uh, I wouldn't touch this woman. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I would not mess with this woman. But that being said, that being said, what she was telling you, although she would never use the words, I'm sure, was that she is the weaker vessel. That's what she was saying. And that it wasn't fair for her to be pinned up against a man, even if she could have beat him because she's a weaker vessel and it doesn't make it fair paul uh, peter said here that you do this in an understanding way if you're a man what he's getting at here is that they may be weaker in that sense but he said they're heirs with us so equal in value that's the way molly put it last night which is awesome we're all equal in value to god there's no one that's over the other let me uh let me read this because I think it's cool the, the way that Peter put it, in an understanding way. I think we are different and you just got to understand that. And he's referring to the men here because men are a lot less patient, I think, than women are. But, um, let me, this is from Adrian Rogers. You can find this online. Uh, you can listen to it or you can go print it off. I printed it off years ago and I share it with all my D groups because I think it's very helpful. If you're in relationship, I don't care if you're married or just in relationship. It's a great way to see a difference between men and women. It's called Celebrate the Difference. You can find it. I think he did it in 2007, somewhere around there. But he's just celebrating the differences between men and women. I'm just reading, so this is all credit Adrian Rogers here. But he get, he gives several different things, and they have these funny headings. So the first heading he has here is The Beauty and the Beast. He says, uh, Women are physically weaker than men. Men are physically stronger. Men are the provider and the protector. Women are the nurturer. And he says, and he gives the physical differences here 40% of a man's body is muscle, 25% of a woman's body is muscle. Men have about one and a half gallons of blood in their bodies. Women have about four fifths of a gallon. Men have a larger lung capacity. Women have a better immune system. All right? And so, for instance, women tend to outlive men, typically, not always, but uh, men have thicker skulls, uh, <laughs> women, women have more brittle bones, it's a true, true story, women have a double X chromosome, men have an XY chromosome, that sounds like a dub, but just stop a minute, that's a difference, okay, that's a difference, no matter how you feel about it, the tortoise and the hare, <laughs> men are the hare, women are the tortoise, he... He has, but here's what he means. He has more energy. She has more durability. So my wife loves to take naps. She doesn't do it terribly often anymore, but she loves to. So she's going to go home. This one does too, but you ain't a woman, but that's all right. She's going to go home and she's going to take a nap and I can't stand it. I can't do it. I'll lay there and think I got to do something and I'll get up and do something. I will go to, I've got about five hours of sleep on the night because I feel like I need to be doing things. Whereas she'll take a couple of naps and then go right to sleep, too, at the end of the night. I'm like, Oh, how do you do that? Uh, But typically, and who knows what happens in our marriage and in our life, but typically women outlive men. So odds are good that in the same way she'll outlive me. I'm going to burn out faster. You know, that's the idea. He says the romantic and the mechanic. (laughs) The man is created and given the responsibility to dress and keep the garden. And the woman, in through childbirth, she is nurturer, and she takes care of the family. Men are more visual, attracted by physical things, whereas women are more intuitive, attracted by nuances and romance. Granted, this is not all across the board, but in general. Uh, the radar and the computer. I like this one. This one's really true. Men primarily use the left hemisphere of the brain, which controls logic, reasoning, and calculation. Women use both hemispheres. Right side deals with feelings, emotions, sympathy, love, and intuition. Which means men are like, just give me the facts. Let's just get there. Let's solve the problem. Women are like, let's just talk about this for a minute. You know? Men are like, please, just tell me what the answer. And a lot of times, women don't even want to get there. Um, You know? He says he says women are women are spider web thinkers thinking like radar. Men are step by step thinkers thinking like a computer. So we have something to deal with, we have a decision to make, we have a problem. Okay. A, B, C, D, problem solved. Uh, women are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you said B, this happened and this might happen. And what if we go to C Then this could happen and that could happen. And what if we, okay, if we do this, then we got to start that. And then we got to change this. Then we got to fix that. And who's going to be upset if we go over here and we do all, and men don't think any of that. Men just go, no, 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 no. Just, let's just get to the finish here. Problem solved. Now I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. Matter of fact, you need both. That's the point though. You need, you need both. You need, you need to listen. You need to understand each other in order to be able to communicate better. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. You need both of them. And you've got to understand that's the way they are. Another one here under that, he says, women are detail-oriented, men are bottom line. Boy, if there was one truth of all of them, that's it. For instance, in everybody relates, uh, you come home and your wife is crying and you say, what's the matter? And what does she say? Nothing. Nothing. And that is a flat lie, because the whole world is the matter. There's all kinds of things that matter. And you know this, because if you say, okay, thanks for answering my question, and you walk away, now you're, now you're the problem, you know what I mean? There is a, there is a definite problem going on and so you, the one what the woman wants to do is she wants you to care she wants you to talk about it with her she wants to work it through with you she wants you to to to, to seek to understand not to solve necessarily whereas men are to work that way men want to solve there's a problem she's crying let's fix it so it stops you know <laughs> and and uh What's the bottom line? Just get to the chase so we can fix this thing. Now, that doesn't mean the man, the man is wrong or the woman is wrong. But you need to understand that, that when you get frustrated with the man, the man, that's the way he's made. He cannot not think that way. So he has to function. Now, you got to be patient with him. The, woman, the man, you got to be patient with her. She, she cannot not think that way. That's the way she's made. And so the point being that there, there were different. Last one here, he says, the code speaker and the reporter, women speak in code men speaking reports so again how was your day that's a great one you come home and say how was your day men are like it's fine I ate breakfast, did my job, came home <laughs> Women are, you ask the woman how was your day and she's like oh it's fine which again it was not fine that's code for there's more to be said here and you have to work it out a woman uses language to express emotion a man uses language primarily to dispense facts which is very true uh, last thing here, look back at first Peter, uh, and he has more. It's really good. I would encourage you to go find it. Let's do it. It's all over the internet. You can either listen to it or print it, but I've been sharing it with D groups for years because it's good. It's called celebrate the difference. It's Adrian Rogers. It's just a sermon he preached one Sunday, but, but you can get the print of it as well. Last thing, really quick. First Peter, again, back there, he says that, uh, your prayers could be hindered. What do you think about that? Okay, see, you did, you went right where, where most people go. And this is where I went for years too, in the past, is to say, well, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as a husband, or if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as a wife, my prayers aren't going to get answered. Did it say your prayers won't get answered? He He's not going to hear them. They're, they're hindered. In all justice here, it didn't even say he won't hear them. It says that they are being hindered. What's hindering them? What does it mean to hinder something? To block it, okay, to block it or slow it down or stand in the way of it. So you're the one that's praying. So what he's saying is your prayers are going to be hindered. So the idea here is, well, I think there is some truth to your prayers not getting answered because you could go look at Malachi chapter 2 and they were bringing all these sacrifices and he said, I don't want them. And he literally says, because your marriages are garbage, because you're sending off your wives and divorcing your wives, I don't want to hear, I don't want your sacrifices, I don't want to hear it. So there's some truth there. But what? peter is saying i think is that you're not going to want to pray if your relationship is garbage if you guys in your relationships are not where you're supposed to be if the order is off if the structure's out if you're not willing to submit to your husband and husband if you're not willing to love your your wife enough to die for her then there's a good chance you're not going to want to pray and if you do want to pray you're not going to pray right Because if you really had the right heart before God, the first thing you would do is want to go get that fixed. Like you would be brought to a place of conviction and repentance because something's messed up and you'd want to go get that fixed. So when he's talking about hindering prayer, he's saying it's going to get in the way of you wanting to pray. You're not going to want to pray. Your prayers are not even going to happen is the idea. You're just going to get bitter and frustrated and angry and maybe even alone at some point. So quickly, how do you see God in this? Uh, This is awesome. He loves relationships. He designed relationship, he defines relationship, he is seen in relationship. I think uh, Ravi Zacharias was the one that was saying it, but he was talking about God is the only thing in existence that needs nothing else to exist. He, he, people think, well, God created man because he was lonely. That is so untrue. Number one, he had angels. Number two, he didn't need angels. You, you think he needed you and that's why he created you because he was lonely. That's a broken God. He wasn't lonely. God is a relationship. Think about this. In and of himself, he is a relationship. He needs nobody. He has a, if you want to be frank about it, you have a dominant father, a submissive son, submitted himself to the will of the father as an example even, and you have a loving spirit that unites all three of them, but they're equal and they're one. And and thus, when we get into marriages and relationships and god created us for this purpose we reflect him we're created in his image and we reflect him not just christ in the church but him completely Uh, the gospel here is pretty clear too because jesus made this perfect jesus went from the top to the bottom served his disciples washed their feet allowed himself to be humiliated killed and murdered for his church and then redeemed her and the process brought salvation through it so what do we do with this i'll give you a couple really quick three or four things here really quick number one stop letting the world define you piece of cake right (laughs) stop letting the world define you stop it you're not going to look like it stop it stop letting your flesh define you your desire to be things or i should be this or i should be that or she should just care she should just whatever stop letting your flesh define you pride basically start standing in contrast to the world let jesus define you let him do it and if you do but i promise you're going to be in contrast to the world And do it publicly. Submit to your husband publicly. Believe me, there can be a lot of women going, why are you doing that? Who is he? Guys, love your wife like an idiot in public. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let people know that she is your world, you know? Another one. You know what? This is probably the biggest one to me. Start accepting the position that God created you for. I mean, you just don't know how much your life will change if you'll just do that. If you'll just start accepting that God created you for an awesome purpose and put you in a position to accomplish that purpose, as soon as you do that, everything changes in your life. And I can brag on my wife and say she's awesome at that. And she's, that's something that she's taught me, really, more so than, than anything I've taught her. The last thing there, which ties it all together, is learn to love and understand your spouse or your spouse-to-be or whoever it's all right, new friend. <laughs>